So Sarah, I know we both can relate to periods of time where we felt like we are crazy busy and we're working five feet in front of our face, going a thousand miles an hour. We're just chasing the things and that are directly in front of us and putting fires out, not feeling like we had the time to give to our, our most important things and give them the time they deserve. Yeah, and today we had Richard Shaw on the podcast. He's the co-founder and CEO of Unleashed, where he really focuses on what happens when an entrepreneur is feeling that way and how do they have a position or develop a position, which they call the second in command, to help support you so as an entrepreneur, you can focus on what matters most. So without further ado, Richard Shaw. Well, welcome, Richard. We're so excited to have you. So glad to be here. Um, Chris, Sarah, I love what you guys are doing at The One Thing uh, Show. And it's an honor to, to be on today. Thanks, Richard. Well, Richard's the CEO of Unleashed. And if I can say this correctly, the, the mission here is behind every great visionary entrepreneur is a great operations counterpart. And you guys exist to pair these two types of people together to unleash their full potential in business and life. And one thing I love that I read is that you asked the question is, what if you could free up 30 hours in your week and reach new revenue heights? I would love to have 30 additional hours in my week. So that's pretty exciting. But before we jump in there, why don't you tell us about your background? How did you get to where you are and what drives you to uh, be the CEO of Unleashed? Yeah, thanks for asking, uh, Chris. It's, it's cool because um, I just want to say how kind of nostalgic it is being here because I remember when I was in one of the darkest periods in my business, a friend and mentor at the time recommended that I read the one thing, which I think is so cool. And so um, just just kind of fun and and cool to reflect back. That book helped me. It was uh, it was insightful. And um, it's interesting because to still to this day, he's a friend and mentor in my life and he raves about that book. I think it's the it's the one book that he maybe recommends more than any other. So um, he's like a one trick pony when it comes to helping entrepreneurs who are who are getting the hurt. <laughs> um, but that all said, you know, for me, I'll just start with what you said first, Chris, which is for me, what drives me and motivates me really goes back to the day that I remember I, I came home, um, avoided my wife. We were in our first year of marriage, went into my spare room office and curled up in a fetal position in the corner and cried out to God for help. Um, and for me, I was running two businesses at the time. Uh, we were multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in the red. Um, I just found out that a partner had stolen money from the company. Uh, we had managers uh, on sites where we were doing real estate development who literally walked off at leaving all sorts of chaos behind. Um, recently, within that last couple of weeks, uh, a, a storm had blown through and done a couple hundred thousand dollars of damages to our property that our insurance company was refusing to pay. And uh, we were in the midst of a lawsuit with the state government. So uh, just a few challenges. That, I was going to say, yeah, that just, sounds a little bit like rock bottom, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was rock bottom. And um, I, I just remember in that moment, really thinking and questioning, like, am I even a CEO? Like, am I even an entrepreneur? Um, or did I just sort of fake it till I made it and, and persuaded myself I could do this? And uh, in that moment, even though it was rock bottom, I had some revelations there. And one of them had to do with um, understanding that although I was an entrepreneur who was able to take a business from nothing and turn it into something, we raised millions of dollars, we you know, obviously kind of built a brand, what I wasn't was a great leader and manager. And, um, and that was very apparent, right? Um, a mentor of mine in that season told me this and it really resonated with me. He said, what got you here won't get you there. And so for me, that, that realization and revelation kind of drove me to maybe have the first humble moment in my life as an entrepreneur, where I didn't put a face on and sell to the world and myself why I could do everything uh, and be chief everything officer and still succeed. I really had to kind of admit I had some weaknesses, I had some strengths, um, but what was I going to do about my weaknesses? Because my business couldn't afford uh, for me to just kind of pretend like I was good at things that I wasn't anymore. How do... I, I think that's really speaks to people who 
are entrepreneurs who who think that they're saving themselves money by trying to do everything. Um, mm. I would imagine that's the mindset people walk in with. How does someone fall into that trap? Obviously, your story is very similar, but does that resonate with you know entrepreneurs across the U.S. that they're all just trying to do everything to save a dollar? I think uh, I think there's a couple reasons why entrepreneurs hesitate to delegate or really build a team around them that supports their weaknesses. I think money is definitely one of them. Um, and hey, I get it. We're bootstrapping people. We started it from nothing. We're, we're, we're careful and conscious of what hits the, the, the bottom line. Um, I get it. But I think there's, you know, part of it is financial. I think another part of it is really just um, it, it's fear and it's uncertainty about, will anyone care for it the way I do? Um, can anybody do it as well as I can? Um, you know, honestly, you know, I, I'll just say for me as an entrepreneur, I'm a bit of a control freak. And in some ways in the early stages that served me well, because I was able to have my hands on every piece of the company, but at a certain point, um, you become the bottleneck and a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to admit that they don't want to uh, kind of acknowledge that they've hit a ceiling, um, and their business has scaled to a point where it's beyond their personal capacity. It's beyond their ability to lead, manage, project manage, oversee finances. They, they, they just can't do it all. And so, um, yeah, I think that, I think that part of it is, is money driven. I think another part of it is, is also just, um, emotionally driven. You know, when, when you build a business, it's your baby, right? You, you care for it, you, you swaddle it, you take care of it. Um, but at some point you, you have to let go. And you have to realize this thing has gotten bigger than me. And I have to stop acting like chief everything officer and, you know, playing this, you know, founder in the center structure for my company. And I've got to actually start to build this um, where I step into the role of CEO. And the number one role of a CEO is to actually build, assemble the right team to actually lead that, that company. So the kind of the, the pitfalls might be the money or the control. Uh, the emotional attachment. If what are some signals, though, if you are a CEO um, or someone who might be operating like a chief everything officer, what are some signals that you might be in that trap or that you might have gotten to that situation that would bring some awareness? Yeah, I, I would say uh, just looking back at my story, a couple things. So one would be um, when you start to uh, you you'll feel it in your um, in the frustration of your people if you have a team. They'll be frustrated because they can't get enough of your attention. You'll be frustrated because you'll constantly feel like you have little bees buzzing at you every time you try to get maybe some deep work done or you try to work on the business. Uh, you're, you're just overwhelmed. Your, your email inbox is full. Your messenger or Slack channel is full. People are reaching out to you. And instead of it feeling like a blessing for you to get to serve all those people, it feels like a burden. Like you just feel like you're constantly getting almost harassed by your team and all of the requests tying back to you. Um, and that continues into the evening hours, right? One of the biggest signs I tell entrepreneurs to look for is as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to lose track of how many hours you're actually working. So I've sat with CEOs sometimes who will sell me a story and they're like, oh yeah, I work 50 hours a week. And then you press into it. It's like, no, you work a hundred hours a week. Like you're constantly on your phone when you're at home with family and uh, one of the scariest things for me from that season was realizing, even though I didn't even have kids yet, in my first year of marriage with my wife, we lost almost all the connection we had had when we were dating because I was never present at home, um, never present with her, right? Never present at dinner. And I know so many entrepreneurs now that I have like, three beautiful children, I can't even imagine being in that season with, with young kids. And um, so I would say that's another really big signal is, is looking at um, your interactions with your team, do they feel like a burden or a blessing? And then looking at your, the amount of work you're doing from your phone or at home. Um, because if, if stuff is piling up in both of those areas, it's probably a pretty good indicator um, that you got to do something. Yeah. What about the calendar, even during the workday? Is there any, are there any characteristics of someone's calendar they should look out for? That's a great question. Um, I have Google Calendar, right? So unless you're old school, uh, Google Calendar, the backdrop is is white space. And so I think it's just an easy thing to do would be to look at your calendar and go, wow, is there not any white space? 
Um, some of this depends on your business model because some people, they, they manage by walking around. And so they just literally spend their entire day putting out fires via text. There are no formal scheduled meetings. So I'd say for that person, it's, it's pretty apparent. For somebody who maybe runs more of a remote team or something like this, you'll notice there's just Zoom event after Zoom event after Zoom event after Zoom event, and all the white space on your calendar has disappeared. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. Whenever I recognize that I'm starting to get busy and not necessarily focused on the things that matter most, the high ROI activities for my role, mm-hmm. I'll look at my calendar and there's 30 minute to one hour blocks back to back to back throughout the whole day. And that like creative time that you have space for, for you know, that like thinking time, that's the first that you're saying no to and you're, you're taking away that time or you're starting to work through lunch and then you're working into the evening. So I, I get what you're saying. That makes total sense. I just want to harp on something you just said too, because what entrepreneurs I think miss a lot of times is that as entrepreneurs, our greatest gift is the ability to create, um, it, to be creative. As you just said, we're not necessarily the best people managers, the best final financial managers. We're not stabilizers or maintainers, but we do have an ability to build and create. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, what, what they're measuring is the cost of maybe hiring the right person. We call it your second in command or your operational counterpart. But what you're not measuring is the opportunity cost, um, which is all of the growth that you as a CEO have proven your ability to drive when you're focused on creating, when you're focused on building. And whether that's new products, new services, new divisions, in some cases, new businesses, there's immense value you can create when you are focused on your one thing. Um, and, and for some reason, entrepreneurs, they build a business kind of around themselves and then they end up doing a bunch of things that they don't love and aren't great at. And, and they start see diminishing returns when, if they could actually delegate and empower other people to do that, they could return to the things that they love to do are great at and are extremely high ROI. Yeah. Okay. So we know the the pitfalls and some of the signals that you might be in the situation you're you're doing too much you're taking on too much the frustration showing up with your team your work life balance at home is way out of whack uh, what do we do what do we do next what's the solution what are the systems of the people we need to bring into our our world to to help move this the right direction yeah so what i would say to a, an entrepreneur listening is that there's a philosophy here, and then there's a strategy here. And and the philosophy is that um, there's a lot of great hires you're going to need to make on the way to scale. But what, what is the biggest missing link for a lot of entrepreneurs? And the biggest missing link is not necessarily a traditional employee role. Um, it's, it's what I refer to and our company refers to as a second in command. Um, this is somebody who is more operates more like a profit sharing partner than someone who operates as necessarily a functional siloed or specialized employee. You know, it's interesting. I've done a lot of study on what makes startups successful. And they've studied that there's almost like a 300% more higher success rate for more visionary founders who pair with a more operationally focused counterpart or or co-founder. Um, but those statistics we've actually found hold true in a small business with a single founder CEO uh, who is actually trying to scale it, which is just fascinating to me. Uh, another thing that I think a lot of founder CEOs don't consider is um, when a lot of them have this desire to sell at some point, right? So I think a statistic is like 71% of all small business owners say they want to sell within the next 10 years. Well, what maybe they don't realize is there's a reason why when companies are acquired by PE firms or VC firms, they typically come in and they kick the founder CEO out. Um, and, And I actually think there's detriment to that and there's data showing that. So I'm not for that at all. But the reason they do that is because they're super clear, like this is not the person to manage the day to day, (laughs) to like lead and run the day to day. They know that entrepreneurs just aren't clear on it. So I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's really figuring out like, who is your missing link? And this is a unique yin to yang process of finding a second in command who doesn't operate like an employee, 
um, but who comes in as a high level peer and partner to actually help you build out infrastructure, systems, hire the right people, drive performance, make data-driven decisions, um, and, and ultimately turn an entrepreneurial company into more of a systemized enterprise um, that maximizes margin, freeing the CEO up to go focus on growth and maybe driving top line um, or just more personal net income. That's where for me, I, I like to refer to that as the missing link. That's the philosophy. You have to find that missing link. And in most cases, we find that for a lot of entrepreneurs, the first missing link that they have to fill is finding that uh, second in command. Because if you can get that right, that person can help you figure out all the other missing links, all the other things on your team. Um, and, and we've just found that has a, a really cool ripple effect. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So I think what I'm hearing is it's kind of a two-step process, right? Entrepreneurs and and CEOs of uh, or the chief everything officer, number one, needs to have a level of self-awareness to know mm-hmm. when they need to take a step back and, hey, like this isn't my skill set. And then number two, really stepping in and saying, okay, now I need to find my number two who can, to your point, like be the yin to my yang and fill that void in order for us to continue down this path to success. Really good point, Sarah. I think self-awareness is the first step, but it's, it's key. And in our process, we actually call this, so we have a kind of a proven four-step method that we talk about with our clients to um, match with their second in command who can execute their vision. And the first step is define, right? You, you first have to define. It starts with awareness and defining starts with self-awareness about who you need. Um, and, and we call that 2IC compatibility. 2IC is short for second in command. Um, are they compatible with you, your personality? Are they compatible with your company identity, your core values and your vision? And are they compatible with the competencies that your company actually needs to go to the next level? And so that self, starting from that place of self-awareness is going to allow you to enter you know, what we'll talk about next, how you actually find this person with so much more clarity and confidence. Really, a lot of entrepreneurs, the reason they never take a first step is because they don't have that self-awareness and they've never really stopped to define who is the yin to my yang. Uh, who is the kind of the right fit second in command that's compatible with me, my company, and my team? Is there uh, a piece of this process that informs core competencies and values that's more of a vision activity to fast forward out into the future and you know identify where your organization is heading that would then, mm. like I said, inform more of like what this core competence competency set should be and the values they need to possess? Yeah, so I would say there's a couple layers to this. So one is, figuring out your values at the core. So if you haven't defined your core values, there's tons of great resources and exercises out there. Um, And a lot of entrepreneurs kind of go like, yeah, yeah, core values, the things they put on a t-shirt or on the wall that the HR person is really gets a, you know, glossy eye in their look about. It's way more important than that. It really is like, it's, it's so key. And I, I would say it's, it's far more key when you're hiring at the executive level of a company, especially for the first time. Um, you can get away with some 
sloppiness around this when you're hiring more specialized or hands-on roles, it will cause disaster and tons of friction for your company if there's not alignment here uh, at the executive level, especially with this person who's almost operating as a peer. So I would say getting that clear, um, there's a great exercise. One of the things I tell entrepreneurs, and I learned this from uh, Gina Wickman, who's, who's brilliant around this stuff, is he just asked this question. He says, or actually he says, make a list of the people you know who, if you had a hundred of them, you could literally take over the world. And then once you have those people in mind, list out all the attributes and characteristics that you prize about them, that you value about them. Um, and I, I just think that's such an insightful question. It's a great way to get headed down the path of understanding what you actually value when it comes to people that you want to do business and life with. I would be so fascinated to conduct a core values exercise with our core values decks and see like if they were sitting next to each other, you know, this CEO and this potential 2IC, did I get that right? Mm -hmm. You did. Um, Second in command, uh, what they would each come up with because it would be probably a pretty big realization to start flipping over cards and seeing like what personally their core values were and how they matched up. Yeah, that would be interesting. That's a fascinating idea. That'll be fun. Invite me to that. If that we'll, ever happens. we'll send you some core <laughs> values decks. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait. The other thing, just to answer your question, Chris, because I know this is nuanced um, and I, I'm trying to be as, as concise as I can be. But the other thing that you said is, I think that um, there's really five core competencies of a great second in command. We've actually identified these and they're over and over. They're buckets. There's nuance within these, um, but they, they need to be great at leadership, great leaders and managers of people. Uh, they need to be great at numbers, meaning they understand how to own the PNL and drive performance via metrics and make data-driven decisions. Uh, they need to be great at planning. This is capacity management, project management, and task management, um, as well as organizational alignment towards a clear strategic plan. Um, they need to be great at hiring. And most people don't understand this, but even if they're not, even if you have a fully built-out HR department, you still, as an executive leader, never disconnect from this process. You, 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 you have to be a champion of making sure that there's alignment with the people you hire, core values, fit with the vision, and have the right skill sets to actually do it. And so uh, a lot of entrepreneurial companies don't have great processes for this. And this is one of the biggest things that a great 2IC brings to the equation. Uh, and then finally is scaling, meaning they understand the necessary systems and strategies to take an entrepreneurial company from... Uh, you know, kind of running by the seat of its pants a lot of times to more of a systemized enterprise um, that can predictably grow. And this includes things like understanding market segmentation, divisionality, uh, franchising. Again, it depends on the business model and the exact two I see you're looking for. Um, but typically we're looking for the skill set. Have they actually scaled uh, a comparable business model or been a part of that process? Because there's things you pick up um, that most entrepreneurs just don't have experience in. Makes sense. And what are maybe some of the more common mistakes that you've seen uh, in the traditional hiring process or when an entrepreneur is trying to find this person that are noteworthy? Yeah. yeah. So the biggest thing I would say... Um, so we talk about in our process, define and then find uh, is kind of the second step. So you hit right on it. The biggest mistake entrepreneurs make when attempting to find this person is posting a job or even headhunting for a job instead of recruiting for an opportunity. Um, and here's the reality, right? When you think about hiring this type of person, you have to get into their psyche and understand that the cards are against you a little bit as an entrepreneurial company, right? You don't have the fancy benefit package, pay grade, or prestige of a larger corporate entity. What you do have is something amazing, and that's your growth opportunity. However, if you are not very intentional with how you market and recruit that growth opportunity, these people won't even pay any attention to you. The reason for that is they don't typically need a job. They're already well taken care of, successful, and thriving where they are. So what they are looking for, though, is like what I call the top three layers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They're looking to belong, self-actualize, and transcend, meaning they want to be a part of a culture they resonate with, become the best version of themselves, and make a bigger impact. So you have to get really good at framing as an entrepreneur your growth opportunity in a way that's differentiated from every other job that people are posting and the 50 headhunters who hit them up on LinkedIn every month trying to get them to move roles. That All that's white noise to most of these people. 
you have to be able to cut through that noise with a really clear vision and growth opportunity. And, uh, and that's something that actually gets these kind of people who are high level excited. In fact, we've even seen sometimes where they'll leave behind very prestigious, uh, and we see this all the time, very prestigious and even higher paying roles to come partner with an entrepreneurial company's vision with profit sharing because they know that they can build that vision and it gets them excited. Um, and so that's, I would say that's the biggest mistake and, and how to rectify it. I watched this happen in the flesh at, uh, uh, at a previous company, a previous startup that I worked for with an entrepreneur who was, you know, a, the, the visionary and the founder and needed a couple of unicorns and a two IC to really step in. Um, and it was, job postings on LinkedIn and it never amounted to anything because you're constantly looking for somebody with very specific, that can fill a very specific role. And you might get one person that's got three of the four checked off, but you really need to go above and beyond in finding this person, not just, you know, sticking to the normal like LinkedIn posts. It's It happens all the time, I feel like. Hmm. Yeah, I can think of my like even my own experience of having been in a company for 10 years at a very cushy position was just kind of in cruise control and I was I was happy but when I zoomed out and thought about like what my long-term vision or purpose was and I saw a misalignment I, I felt like I was, you know, kind of in a ceiling and I looked at the product itself of uh, this other opportunity and and was excited about that so it could be you know a little bit of this too it's like hey maybe you have a great situation but if you can draw them towards you know, the value of the product or a long-term vision and purpose of, of growth opportunity in those three top pieces of, of the hierarchy you mentioned, uh, then you can really create that gravity to pull them over. Hmm. Very true. So we've got define, find. What is the next step in this process? So once you've found them, right, you've used what we call opportunity recruiting to pull in the right people, scientifically filtered them down, and you've got the very best candidates that you choose the right fit from, you have to onboard well. And this, again, comes back to uh, just quite honestly, something I've seen go very poorly for a lot of entrepreneurs who try to onboard this person. Because you have to understand, when we use the idea of yin-yang, the whole idea of yin-yang is that opposing forces that push against each other and that cause friction is where power is generated. So though that is true, uh, the power dynamics at play here are astronomically difficult to master on your own, right? You, you either find the wrong person and you end up with somebody who's just another employee, right? You can call them whatever you want, your COO or whatever, but they're still going to honestly like need and depend on you and not be able to kind of fully own and empower that role. Um, or you get somebody who is ambitious, driven, and uh, opinionated as well. And honestly, very competent and very capable. What I've seen so many times happen is you have two very, very um, strong personality per people who do not know how to dance the tango well. And as, and as a result, they step on each other's toes like crazy. Um, it causing frustration for both parties, miscommunication, mismet expectations. And then eventually... Uh, either the two IC leaves or the CEO fires them. Um, in fact, the retention rates on some of these roles is really, really fascinating to look at. We've even done that is not very good, especially when you go kind of the traditional executive recruiting route or staffing route. It's kind of the dirty secret of that whole industry. Um, and the, the biggest reason we we've spent a ton of time researching this and even looking at our own client data have helped 200 plus people make this transformation. Um, the number one issue is you just found the wrong person in the right place because you didn't define well. But the second one is onboarding, without question. Um, there's a great book called The the First 90 Days that I'd recommend to any entrepreneur. Um, and I'd recommend they give it to anyone they have as their 2IC. It's called The Onboarding Bible for a reason because it really helps to set the proper expectations for what ramping up a new leader or manager looks like. Um, and to me, it really comes down to four things. It's role definition, making sure that both parties are really clear on their roles and how they work together instead of stepping on each other's toes, but how they're also different. Who owns what? Who's accountable for what? The second thing is um, the first 30 days is critical. We call it 30-day integration. 
which means within the first 30 days, you get them fully up to speed on your culture, the projects. They literally, we have our clients, they interview with very specific interviews, everyone within the next two layers of the organization. They're gathering data, gathering feedback, making issues, building a plan. And then about day 30, everything changes. You go from gathering data to actually starting to, to implement together. Um, and that's where kind of the days 30 through 90 are really critical to make sure that uh, the two parties are really same page on what the plan is to get them fully onboarded and delegated and to start rapidly transferring things off the CEO's plate and onto the 2IC's plate so that this 2IC actually feels empowered. But secondly, the CEO actually starts to see a return and an ROI. Because there's no question, this is an investment. Like you've got to make an investment to, to reap a reward here. But if you're not able to measure the ROI on that investment and it just lingers on forever, you're going to get frustrated, especially with entrepreneurs who are some of the most impatient people on the planet. Yeah, it's like on one half of this, it's making sure you've got the right person and finding them the right way. And on the other side of it, setting them up for success. And, and you know, if you are the entrepreneur, you have to enable that person, your second in command to actually truly run and, and getting clear with the role definition on who owns what, but committing to that process, right? Not undermining it as the entrepreneur because you can't let go and you can't give up control. And you talk about this, what we, we call like 30, 60, 90. And mm -hmm. uh, I love that. I mean, you give the clarity on the transition and who owns what at which piece. And for me, third, like the first 30 days is just you know getting acclimated. And then the next 30 is is starting to add value. And that last... 30, you know, the 60 to 90 is truly making an impact. And that's where you need to let the controls off, right? 100%. You nailed it. What other pieces of the onboarding process do you think are impactful that, that you guys do or that um, you provide value in? I would say the last piece that a lot of uh, CEOs forget. So we've got, we, we defined the right person, we found them, we onboarded them. Um, but the last piece is support. And your 2IC, you still have a role in supporting them to succeed and win at their role and ultimately get you the outcomes that you're looking for, whether that's exit optionality, you want to sell or exit at some point in the future. Maybe you just want to step back from the day-to-day. -day. Maybe you want to go scale the company and build new products and services and new partnerships and whatever the case may be, your 2IC is still going to need support. They're going to need you to be a, a engaged CEO for whichever one of those three paths you take. And so um, I think support looks like a couple things. It looks like financial support, which means actually giving them the, the, the financial resources to invest in making the hires they need to make, getting you out of certain seats that you shouldn't be in if you're wearing multiple hats. Um, in some cases, it's, it's, uh, it's as an owner, right? Uh, it's, it's financing that, it's raising that money, it's um, just being willing to reinvest back into the business for a short period to get the return that you want ultimately. Um, and then it's it's really having a, a, a set of tools, peers, and mentors to help you as the CEO and your 2IC become your best. And I think that um, this gets missed a lot because they say it's lonely at the top. And if you've been there, it's true. Like it's really lonely being a CEO and, and a founder because a lot of times you feel very misunderstood by the people around you. You're like, I, people don't get me. They don't understand the challenges I'm going through. What you may not realize is that the second in command seat is very difficult and very lonely as well. And so we've just found exponential value is added, you know, profit increases faster, uh, net income increases faster when you actually invest in develop the development of your 2IC via mentors, uh, you know, tools and resources. Um, and so that can just look like, you know, at a very basic level, having some sort of leadership development strategy for that person uh, at a more extreme level, you know, like we literally do with clients, we have very high level 2IC cohorts that we put together for, for those people to actually be able to help each other, uh, as well as specific tools and resources designed to help that person implement your vision more quickly um, in the day-to-day. 
I'm secretly Googling a stat because I want to get it right when I say it out loud, but um, we'll come back to it. But it's specific to exactly what you're saying, Richard, which is, you know, the importance of mentorship and coaching and making sure that, you know, your CEO and your second in command are are running at the same speed and at the same time. So I need to find this stat, but it's like 77% of entrepreneurs that receive coaching are actually see an they actually see an increase in revenue because of that, you know, advising ability that is provided to them. So I'll I'll google it right now. <laughs> <laughs> do do you have any tools that uh, you recommend or like specific uh, pieces of the process in a coaching conversation that you've found success with? Yeah. I would say as far as just resources that we frequently recommend, um, you know, if somebody wants to kind of continue to explore this concept and learn what it looks like, there's a great book. I actually had it right over there called uh, Make the Noise Go Away, which is all about helping an effect, like building an effective second in command relationship. Um, there's a there's a great book by Gina Wickman called Rocket Fuel that talks about this relationship. Um, but I would say, you know, a couple things that um, I, I would just highlight are are most important is if you are getting a, a second in command in place, or you maybe already have one as well. Not underestimating the importance of having really clear meeting cadences, especially if things aren't working right now and you guys aren't on the same page. So, you know, for for me, for example. I meet with, um, you know, now we're at a point where I only need to really meet with my second in command once a month. And we do that. It's like half a day together, but we meet for like half a day once a month and about four, four hours. And it's just really powerful because we're able to talk through all of our issues, get synced up. How did we do this last month? What are the numbers telling us? What do we need to do next month? What are people issues we're facing? What are, you know, metric based issues we're facing? It's really powerful. I would say, that's where we are now. Before that, though, we used to do that meeting monthly. We would do a weekly meeting and then we would have a daily 15 minute check in. And so I would just say, don't underestimate the importance of having FaceTime with this person and uh, and just making it really highly intentional FaceTime. I found the stat. It's 77 percent saw an increase in one of the nine business metrics that they measured success with. So it is, I was correct in the 77%. <laughs> and that's that's if they receive regular coaching correct. or have a, have a coach or mentor coach, for support. Yep, a coach or mentor. Yeah. So it's very important. You know, I'm, I understand the, the methodology and the focus that, that you guys have for your businesses on this relationship between an entrepreneur and this second in command and solving specifically for that. I'm thinking as we're talking about and even a slightly broader audience or those who are listening maybe aren't in that specific position and how there's a lot of relatable concepts here. Even if you're the leader of a team or a bigger team, how you can draw from this and think about you know, who's on your team and the people you surround yourself by, the position you're in, and some of those signals that you mentioned earlier that we talked about in those pitfalls. Um, there's probably a lot of relatable crossover there too. So not to distract from uh, wh- where you guys are focused, but just to, to connect the dots for some of you who might be listening and thinking you know, where this could apply for you. I would just also say, and I, I don't mean to be too forward here, but there's probably some leaders listening who they're like, that's actually my vision. Like I'm maybe in a corporate job right now, but I actually want, to, like I'm built to be a second in command and I would love to... Uh, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I'm very entrepreneurial. And we found a lot of those people, right? They're not necessarily starters or startup founders, but they're very, they're builders. And I would say if that's you listening, just understand there is a massive opportunity and need for your skill set in companies between one to 50 million in revenue. Um, and there's massive upward upside and potential for you if you're able to come in and and partner with with kind of an entrepreneur's uh, crazy vision and actually help implement that vision and execute it. Um, there, there's a lot of room there. We've, we've actually recently, one of the things I'm most excited about we're doing is, is we're, uh, we do something called the 2IC Accelerator, which is a program specifically designed for people who uh, know they have that archetype and skill set, and they just need some training and kind of how to apply that skill set to an entrepreneurial company uh, to help take it from where it is to where it, where it could actually be. This sounds very much like from entrepreneurial to purposeful. 
It does. Yeah, become <laughs> intentional about where you want to go. But I love that with so a two IC as well and being able to give them the opportunity to really hone in their skills and be that second in command for those CEOs that need it. Um, it they're a dime a di- What we're basically saying is you're special. <laughs> go to unleash.ceo and learn more. <laughs> what's next for you? Uh, what's next for you and, and the business? What's on the horizon? What are you going after? You know, one of the things that uh, really drives me and the thing that I'm probably most excited about is is really continuing to help our tribe of clients, um, you know, build a wealthier future for their families, for their companies, for their employees, uh, as well as the world's best workplaces. Um, I just think entrepreneurial companies, there's so much opportunity to build wealth and to build almost like family and community um, where people go to work every day with fire in their belly, not, not necessarily going like, oh, I can't wait till the weekend. You know, um, Just what a cool opportunity as entrepreneurs and second in commands, we have to build that. And so we're just really focused on uh, just building a tribe of 10,000 CEOs and two ICs and together really helping them build a wealthier future uh, and the world's best workplaces and I guess I'm I'm just really excited right now. I mentioned the 2IC Accelerator. I'm very excited about that, just to be able to help launch more people who have the skill set into that huge need that exists. Um, and uh, the, the the second thing that I'm really excited about right now is also just um, we've recently rolled out something called Scaling Support, where we really come alongside of uh, existing CEO and 2IC teams where they're just not getting the results that they want. Um, and I, I know from my own story and experience, I was that person. I have the weird uh, experience of having been both a CEO multiple times and actually playing second in command to someone else's vision. And so I know the pains and struggles from that seat and how the relationship can go wrong and this make have some dysfunction. And so uh, it just really gets me excited to know that we'll be able to come alongside those combos, those CEO to IC combos and help them breathe new life, new vision, new functionality so that they can actually get the results they want, or maybe discover that they're just not the right pair. And at that point, they can both make the right decision to, to, to part ways in a healthy way and, and go after what it is that they do want. Okay. This is a tough question, Richard. You've been both the CEO and the 2IC. Which do you prefer? Oh, CEO, without question. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the only reason I say that is, I think, um, I think, you know, you always wonder sometimes whether you want to call it fate or providence, uh, divine sovereignty. I wonder how I ended up in the two ICC and how I even did it effectively for years. Um, it, it must have been a grace for for a season because uh, I'm I'm a, a kind of hair on fire visionary entrepreneur to the core. Um, and somehow I just was able to develop the skill set to do that for somebody else because it's what I was called to do in that season. But no, I thank God for people who are wired the exact opposite of me. Uh, and and I say more power to them, but please do not do not put me back into project management and uh, <laughs> and people management and financial management. I'll die there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it highlights the importance of having some self-awareness, right? And knowing what your skill set is. And you can be the type of person that can be successful in a role that isn't a good fit for you and checking in and figuring out where you want to go Mm. and what really aligns with your passion. Mm. Very true. Real quickly, Richard, you have something called the seven-figure team structure. Is that something that you want to go through with us and explain a little bit? I'm just very curious uh, about what that looks like. Yeah. So specifically, this is something we built to help our clients visualize once you've grown a business to a million or more in revenue, how do you have to start thinking about structure differently? Um, and it, it's, of course, a little nuance for every company. Um, you know, Gina Wickman would call this the accountability chart. Uh, I can't remember a lot of in a lot of organizations, right? It's called the org, org chart. We're entrepreneurs, so or terms like org chart make our eyes roll into the back of our head. So it just tried to, you know, kind of help us think about this a little bit differently. Can I um, just so what I would say, say is, that I've seen like six different org charts and the the progression of them where it's like one person and everybody reports to that one person, or it's like linear, or there's 
there's just a CEO floating in space, but then there's like all these little nuggets around. I mean, it's crazy what people come up with, what entrepreneurs come up with in terms of trying to avoid doing a normal org chart. <laughs> They're like, that's not that's not an org chart. That's a Ferris wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen those too. Um so what I would just say is like the, the the seven figure team structure just helps you think about your structure a little more strategically when you're in that kind of one to 10 million range and start to establish structure now that could maybe help you get to multiple millions in revenue or maybe over the eight figure mark. And typically what it looks like is it's really for the first time establishing the first layer of management and executive leadership in your company, right? So it's, it's, it's building in buffer um, and what, what I call a two-way filter uh, between you and the rest of the company. And the two-way filter essentially is uh, it, it's a filter down from you to the rest of the company where you have people, in many cases, a second in command to start uh, filtering your ideas and your quick start nature and your uh, flavor of the week before it gets down to your people and confuses the heck out of them because it's a little half-baked and you don't actually have a plan. You just have an idea. Uh, so, so it's putting a filter in there to, to kind of help the rest of the organization stay in a cadence and stay focused and only roll things out when there's a plan and it's fully baked. Um, it's also a filter though, up the, or the, the org chart or the structure where all the day-to-day noise issues, problems, blah, 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 doesn't reach you so that you can stay focused on what you're great at and do. And, and that layer of management and leadership can absorb that and deal with it as long as you're aligned on values and vision so that it doesn't ever have to reach you. And ultimately, you're going to be so much more productive, focused, and creative uh, when you get rid of all that noise and filter it out. I've, I've seen firsthand when the filter hasn't existed and the, the chaos that can be created inside of a team in, in, in a startup business where you have uh, the visionary entrepreneur who is constantly chasing... A different direction. They're getting excited about you know, kind of shiny object syndrome, and in, in, in not such a simple term, but they're going after a lot and like pivoting quickly. Yeah. And the team's trying to keep up and trying to pivot with everyone. Before you know it, everybody's like, "Oh my god, I can't keep up with all this change." So having that filter uh, to have that second in command really, you know, slow things down and what gets translated to the team, it, you know, effectively communicate change in a way that's like manageable and, and, and create mm-hmm. that filter, like you said, I think so important. And I've, I've seen the, the downside of not doing that. I'd be curious, Richard, what would you say to an entrepreneur who, you know, a lot of these people got their start and they brought in a lot of their friends or colleagues or former coworkers, um, and they've built kind of an open forum for everyone to have dialogues and conversations. And then when you bring in this 2IC, you create a division, um, maybe not like so um, aggressive as I'm saying a division, but you know, that filter, so to speak. Um, and I feel like that is, it makes entrepreneurs fearful that they're going to lose that relationship with those people. Mm-hmm. What would you say to an entrepreneur that's like, I don't, I don't want to have a filter. I want it to be an open forum and and just be, I mean, that sounds like chaos, but you you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, you know, Keith Cunningham says opportunity without structure is chaos. So I think you have to understand that you can preserve many of the good elements that you just spoke to, relationship, culture, listening. My door is always open as a leader. You can preserve that in your culture while still developing structure to channel the opportunity of your company into a consistent cadence, a clear management team, uh, you know, clear expectations, clear metrics. It's like, if you want certain results, you're going to have to channel your opportunity into structure. Just because you're going after results doesn't mean you have to lose your culture though. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. And what I would say to leaders is, actually when you're in your CEO seat, you will be so much more effective with a 2IC and that layer in place at doing the things that you're afraid you'll lose. So casting vision, creating culture, developing team members. You know, I actually encourage a lot of our CEOs, especially on smaller teams, it's like uh, play the. If you're a good coach to your people, play the the role of leadership coach. Still hold one to ones once a month with all of your people. 
Um, but make a clear distinction between day-to-day management and leadership development, right? And so for me, like I still have one-to-ones with everyone on my management team, even though they don't report to me. Those are not tactical and day-to-day focused though. They're all focused on leadership development. And so for me, that allows me to still be connected to the hearts and minds of some of our key people while not being uh, intrusive or disruptive to my two ICs ability to execute and manage them more tactically in the day-to-day. That just brings to the forefront of how important it is for an entrepreneur and a CEO to prioritize what's most important to them. Um, Because if if leadership development is on that list and having those one-on-ones, you know, is something that they should be doing daily, like make sure that that's on their list and not passed off to the two IC. Um, It really feels like having great, very clear priorities would support this. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we talked to. Yeah. What we talked about earlier too, is that role definition, mm-hmm. right? Get clear on mm-hmm. who owns what, and that shows up in that conversation. Like well, whose skill set is, is, you know, uh, better equipped for that, that part of the process or those priorities, like you said. Yeah. 100%. All right. Do you want to ask the question? All right. So Richard, if you could have our guests take away just one thing from our conversation today, what would it be? The world needs you to be an entrepreneur again. Um, when you look at the economy, when you look at basically every period of human innovation in history, was marked by entrepreneurs who took bold, innovative risks and developed new products, new services, and new solutions. Don't lose that. Don't lose sight of that. The, the world actually needs the gifts and talents that you have to offer and will reward you if you use them. You can only use them if you stop playing chief everything officer and you actually build a team that's strong where you are weak. Um, so to me, that would be the one thing is, is I just really hope our listeners take that to heart and that they they focus on their strengths and they delegate their constraints and they step into the identity of um, you know creator and builder um, and they're willing to let go of the need to play chief everything officer. And for the listeners that are like, I want a two IC, I am a two IC. Where do they go to learn more? Yeah, you can just go to our website, unleashed.ceo. There's no .com, um, unleashed.ceo. Uh, if you're listening to this a little bit later on too, we're actually building a second brand right now called secondincommand.com. You can visit that URL as well. There's some cool things uh, coming there to soon. Um, and so, yeah, but just go to unleash.ceo. All of our resources are, are there. You can learn more about uh, what we're doing with our 2IC Accelerator. You can learn about kind of how to how we can simply uh, give you the resources to run this process in-house if you feel confident with our oversight, coaching, and guidance, or we can do it all for you and match you directly with the 2IC. Um, And then lastly, if you have a 2IC, but you're not sure it's working, uh, hit us up. We can maybe help you guys both get what you want out of that relationship. Awesome. Richard, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Great having you. Wonderful being here, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more episodes or learning about the 411, perhaps you need some individual coaching, head to theonething.com. That's the one thing with a number one.com. Also, you can send us a voice note by heading to speakpipe.com slash the one thing. And that is also with the number one or just send us an email podcast at the one thing. And that's a number one.com. We'll see you soon.